0: Welcome to Bootstrappers, a program designed to bring you up-to-the-minute ideas and concepts to understand what it takes to succeed in business and life. Each week we'll bring you guests and ideas you can't find anywhere else. Bootstrappers is a production of Antiquim LLC. Now let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to this episode of Bootstrappers. I'm your host Jeremy Aspen, the president of Wistar Group here in Omaha and I'm with my Spouse Gwenny Winnie.
1: Oh my god, I could have you just said
0: that. One Aston, <laughs> president of Antiqua? If you're new to Bootstrappers, <laughs> we talk to successful entrepreneurs um, about what they have learned through the trials and tribulations of starting the company, and we apply it to our industry, uh, our industry of investment property management. And uh, even if you're not in property management, many of the concepts and tips that uh, are shared. On the show apply to anybody starting a business working at a business uh, aspiring to run and own a business so let's get hungry and let's break a couple of things and this is bootstrappers
1: let's do it
0: today's um going to be a little bit different because we're interviewing uh I, in the past gwen had interviewed me on a, on a number of issues and today flipping that around i'm going to interview gwen um She's been uh, working with remote assistance for years. Now, Anaquim's been around for oh Since 2016. Since
1: 2016. In June 2016, I okay. stayed at that Marriott
0: oh. and uh, developed the uh, wrote
1: all the initial processes and procedures. So
0: and the way this started was um, with Star group in Omaha, Nebraska, we've actually had remote assistance since 2006 or seven, 2007.
1: And let me just say, you're dating yourself a little bit because we now call people from Mexico who we source remote professionals.
0: Right, yeah, so- well, and at the time it was virtual <laughs> assistants. Um, well, and you know, actually I think we just always called them employees, which we can kind of talk about yeah, later. We talk never,
1: about that later.
0: we never really considered it much of the virtual. Whenever I would go give talks about it or something, I had to refer to it the industry standard, which was virtual assistants. But in reality, they were just employees. Now having those employees, um, offered a lot of benefits, but there are some downsides and pitfalls that you got to look out for. And so the purpose of today's show is to help people, um, Know a little bit ahead of time what these problems are that you might run into with the way the world is right now amidst COVID. Remote assistant work is skyrocketing now, they might not be necessarily be in another company, I'm sorry, in another country, um, but oftentimes they are. So, what are the differences? What is the difference of working in your office, in an office, Um, and how can a company adapt to working with? remote assist, remote professionals or virtual assistants around the world or just people that are working outside of their home?
1: Yeah, because I think a lot of, I like this topic in this particular moment in time because a lot of people are settling into remote work, uh, even if they are all in the same city. So I think for a while we thought, okay, well, maybe COVID will die out or, you know, maybe this is really a momentary thing, but I think it's kind of The new way of working, and so it's important at this point to kind of settle in and say, okay, if I'm going to be working like this long term, what are the best practices? How do companies who've done this for a long time keep their company culture alive while having everyone remote?
0: Well, let's say you're driving around Omaha right now, uh, and you're at home. You're working at home. I mean, odds are you've probably in the last several months been working at home for a big chunk of what you do, obviously depending on what your career is. But um, what should you be doing to make it so that it's more clear to your boss that you're worth, well, yeah, worth keeping on board or to demonstrate that you're productive? How do, how do you keep your personal brand alive um, in, in this changing work environment. I mean, and, and that's the takeaway. If you're listening to this show and we're talking about remote professionals, virtual assistants, it's anybody working from home. And now our audience is generally speaking, people who have people working, working for, them. for them. Um, but especially today's show, I think you can take a lot from it. Um, so let's dig in and find out what, what is it? Gwen, that you think is most surprising about this industry?
1: Okay. So I think when people start working with other people remotely, they kind of get excited that they're not going to have to deal with any of the messy people stuff anymore, right? Because we all know in office environments, There are those things that may bug you about your coworker, like they microwave fish in the microwave and it smells terrible, or they leave their dishes in the sink, and you're like, yes, remote work, no messy people stuff. And um, for better or worse, I'm here to tell you all that you don't get away with not dealing with the people issues, even if they happen to be remote. It's just that managing them tends to be slightly different than in an office environment, um, and so I think that that's the most surprising thing to people when they work with remote teams is that under no circumstance do you have to avoid that stuff.
0: All right. So then, um, um, so then what's the advice you have for people that are managing the messy people's stuff remotely?
1: Okay. Well, the first thing is, um, at least at our company internally, we require all interactions that possibly can be done over video cam or over Zoom to be done over Zoom, and we've done it. I mean, Jeremy, you know, back in the day, because we've had remote yeah. professionals since two thousand and eight, yeah, um, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and we used to only do everything over the phone. Remember those days? Where, I mean, we just have conference call numbers, and everybody would be quiet on the conference call, and. It was a pretty cold environment. It still worked, but it was colder. And so well, since video cam became more of a, a, you know, a regular... More accessible. More accessible, uh, we started using it. And it's really a requirement for all of our people to have their cameras on when they're working internally at Anaquim. So one of the things that I've noticed that really helps the team feel like a team, even though everyone's in their homes is that we call out facial expressions, so it, which requires a high emotional quotient, right? So as a manager, if you're managing a team meeting, you're going to have to say, Bobby, you're really quiet today. Like, what's going on? Or I'm sensing that people are not on board with this. Tell me what you're thinking. So I'm really calling out the facial expressions as I see them. And importantly. And, well, well, let me just finish. And then making sure that my assessment of what they're feeling is correct, because I could be wrong. I mean, we miss a lot, even if it's over webcam.
0: So it's to be deliberate. If you if you have employees that are working remotely, you've got to be a little bit more deliberate, and you've got to pick up on um, the micro expressions, mm-hmm. which um, the the top seven micro expressions, according to some psychologists, are um, that you need to look out for in video calls um, or. or Actually, this is our advice. No one's ever that I've seen have, has actually given this advice, but we have a remote assistant company, a remote professional company, and you want to look out for anger, fear, happiness, contempt, surprise, sadness, and disgust. Those are all harder to pick up on when you're working remotely. There are some psychologists that will say that um, even in a video call, you're only picking up on a, you can only pick up on about mm. 25% of the expressions that mm. people are are giving um, because you know we're designed to live in a world of people to people interface so if you're if you're filtering out so many of those uh, of the 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 nuances of microexpressions you have to deliberately look for them um,
1: and I just want to give a few examples of this. I mean, I, I can't, now that we are pretty adept at calling out facial expressions on our team and in training and things like that, um, I realize how much we lost before we were doing the video cam. Um, right. Because first of all, I'm an extrovert and we have several extroverts on the team And extroverts always talk over the introverts, but the introverts often have some of the most interesting things to say. And so when we were, you know, in our past life of doing this, the past iterations of remote working, those people would be quiet on a call. And since you don't see their faces, you almost forget they're on the call. Now we purposefully say, everybody be quiet. And we let the introverts say what they're saying. We were like, everybody else be quiet. What do you think? So
0: you'll take turns and that they actually have to participate. Well,
1: in our teams, we know, we've identified who the introverts are and who we have to call out and specifically say, everybody else be quiet for a second. Let them talk. Um, So that's been an interesting development. And I think that's made our organization organization stronger because we really are leaving time for all personality types to have a voice. Um, even if they're not proactively trying to do so. The other thing that's been fun is you do get better at the, at identifying facial expressions if you're in the habit of looking for them. So just one funny thing is uh, my coworker, Emily, we were on a call together and she's like, are you sick? And I was like, I just feel terrible. I don't know what it is. And she's like, you know what? You have the flu. And I was like, how do you know over video camera that I have the flu, she's like, I'd be willing to put money on it, like you should go to the doctor right now. I had already had the flu shot, so i sure I didn't have the flu. She was right, Influenza A. She identified my Influenza A over video cab.
0: And Unbelievable. so, and to the point of being deliberate, <laughs> uh, she's been doing this now for, I don't know, let's call it a year, and these video conference calls, not conference calls, these calls, importantly, even if it's a one-on-one discussion you're having with an employee, it's done on a video camera mm-hmm. almost every single time. Yeah,
1: it's part of our culture. And one of the things when we hire people, uh, we've learned to identify as we ask them, are you comfortable on video call? Because that's gonna be your life. And we have hired people in the past where we didn't make a big deal about it in the hiring process. And we've had to really rail on them and be like, turn your camera on, turn your camera on. We're having a meeting. You have to turn your camera on. That gets a little uncomfortable
0: and frustrating for the person that doesn't like it. Mm But I mean,
1: but it's part, if you're going to go this route, I couldn't say how important it is if you're going to really get to know people and have true relationships with people that you're going to work, which I would say is incredibly important in moving your business forward. You cannot do that without having regular video conference calls or one-on-one calls. Yeah, It's a game changer. Uh, One of
0: them, and this pops up, especially now we've got something like 400 employees. um, And so over the course of time, we've, been establishing these relationships. And of course, like even in the in the office environment, there are instances where people start to get frustrated with people that they work with. Mm. And so when you're, and this has happened to me, you can pick up on, especially if you're more trained, which is kind of what I was trying to say about Emily. Um, she's been doing it for a year. And you can pick up on, especially I think contempt. That's the one for me that's yielded the most benefits being able to pick up on it because if, if if two people are talking and you 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 see that kind of that smirk, um, you know that there's a problem. There might be a problem between those two people. Psychologists um, look for that in their
1: uh, like when people are getting divorced.
0: Well, when they're doing <laughs> marriage counseling, yeah. smirk a smirk will be registered more often than anything. Before divorces happen, or so it's, eye
1: rolling, eye rolling. Well, eye smirk. rolling is
0: just dick. <laughs> eye rolling, eye rolling is just that's just you're no, kind that's, of outwardly that's trying so, to be.
1: That's that's definitely uh, contempt. But but to your point, so I would say you're you're talking about being more deliberate with and calling out um, facial expressions and having a high EQ being a necessity for running a remote team. So if I were to see that smirk, I would have a one-on-one with that person and dig deep into it and say something like, you know what, I could be totally reading into this. I mean, I could be reading this wrong, but I thought that I saw a contempt in your face and I'm just going to call it out because I need to know what's going on. And so that being deliberate and calling out facial expressions and passive aggressive behavior oh, proactively is essential for making a remote team work, because if the team becomes toxic and it goes over a tipping point, it's really hard to bring everybody back and it takes so much energy to bring them back that it's just really important to call out negativity, passive aggressiveness, and any kind of negative facial expression.
0: This is Bootstrappers, I'm Jeremy, this is Gwen. We're talking about working remotely, whether they're out of the country or here inside, uh, uh, in, in, in the United States. Um, so what other things do you have to do to build a relationship?
1: Um, well, get deliberately getting to know people. So I'm a driver. Uh and so it's like for Which is instance, a personality type. It's a personality not type. Just like I like to
0: <laughs> not a very good a, one, <laughs> <is> it? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: okay. All right. <laughs> no, but I really like to move fast at a fast pace. So when I write emails, I write the email and then I add at the end before I send it a first line and a last line. And then I have to remind myself to get to know people because I just want to get to the point. But I deliberately make my Uh, meetings with people, I spend time to deliberately find out what's going on in their life for about three to five minutes in every meeting. Um, For drivers, that's going to be a challenge. But you don't have those natural interactions in an office where um, you're just like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? So, you know, oh, I like your shoes. You don't have those, so you have to deliberately build them in.
0: Um, so the give a little to get a little. I mean, so that's the one thing about hiring somebody remotely. There are, there are a lot of benefits to it. One of those is price, but on the other side, um, the, the, you have to spend a little bit more time making sure that you can keep a cohesive. Uh, I,
1: I would argue it's not more time. It's just more deliberate time. Because if you add it up oh. all the time in the office I, right. that you spend at the water cooler, It's probably smaller in remote working, I would say, but you have to be deliberate about building that trust. And
0: I guess I was, I caught myself there just uh, kind of baselining the norm, which was to not do it at all, which I think when people start with remote Mm -hmm. work, they don't do these sorts of things. Our company does mostly remote work uh, overseas, but this applies also to people that are working here in the United States remotely from their home. Um, so we're, we're on relationships, uh, Gwen. And so what other just tips before we move on would you have for anybody about building up relationships?
1: Well, I just had one tip for personality types like mine. As I mentioned, I'm a driver. I like to move fast. I want things, I want work to get done and a, in a rapid way. And we see this with a lot of our small business clients. I mean, there's so much work to get done at a small business that people just want to get right into it. Like, okay, here you are. Let's, You're hired. Go do it. Yeah. Let's get your operational tasks yeah. ready to go. And Which is a
0: mistake that we make as small business owners kind of all the time. Like we're always hoping that we can hire somebody and they'll just take over and do things, right?
1: Oh yeah. And, and that's true. Money. But there is so much efficiency. And that's what I think people don't realize, but efficiency in actually taking the time to build the relationship on the front end. And that's primarily because the number one problem with working with remote teams is the propensity for misunderstandings. So If you build trust on the front end, you spend 20 minutes getting to know someone, finding out what their dog's name is, seeing their cat on camera, you know, whatever, just getting to know them. Do you have an example by chance? I do, but hang on a second. So if, if you spend that time getting to know them, then when you send an email that gets misunderstood or they don't really understand or it could have been taken negatively, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And that saves you a lot of drama later on. And I'll give you an example of a cautionary tale. So uh, we had a client, and just so everybody knows, so we hire people from Mexico to work at property management companies. So we have this guy, we tell him in the sales process, look, if you want this person to work out, you have to create a a relationship with them. They'll give you what you give them. Um, And so that means when you train them, you're going to have to do it over webcam. You're going to have to put the time in. Well, he didn't take our advice and he trained her over instant message. Now, luckily she's super smart. So she gets it right off the bat. Her job was to approve applications. How
0: how many business manuals have any of us seen where it said, okay, first (laughs) text your employee what they're supposed to do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, people are busy. Like I totally get it. People are busy and she was so smart. She caught on really fast. So for three months, she's approving these applications. It's going great. Everybody's happy. At least I didn't hear any complaints. And then she gets a police officer application that says, uh, you know, it ha- he comes with a police dog. So she instant messages her manager, hey, do canines count as police dog or, or as a service animals for the fair housing? Because there's a fair housing law, or I'm sorry, this is American Disabilities Act and we have to allow service animals in and there's a whole thing with it. So she was asking, does this count as a service animal? Well, he read because it's instant message, canine as dogs. Do dogs count as service animals? And he was like, are you dumb? Like, you how do you not know after three months and taking but care of That A canine housing? is a dog. Yeah, but she's from Mexico. And so she thought the word K, you know, letter K, K nine. nine, was only for police dogs because when she lived in the U.S., which I the think only is. time she saw it was on the back of a police car or van. Yeah. So... So anyway, he thinks she's stupid and he starts getting passive aggressive. And this goes back to the advice where call out passive aggressive behavior right at at the front end. Neither one of them call each other up or have a meeting and go, hey, we've been working out great together, but something changed today and I just wanted to see if there's something going on that I'm not aware of. If one of them had done that, it would have been about a 30 second conversation. Oh, canine doesn't mean only police dog. Oh, let's just move on and keep working well together. No, this goes down like the most negative track ever.
0: So it's really, it's like Twitter. It's like Twitter. You're. I mean, not only are you, because you're not on a video call, weeding out all micro expressions, the phenomenon happens in Twitter and Facebook, where when you're writing somebody and you're not in their face, they're not you're not really humanizing that person. So it becomes a lot easier to just kind of make the assumption that they're that they're dumb or or uh, um, inept.
1: Well, and if you don't take the time to get them to get to know them on the front end, it's hard to give people the benefit of the doubt. But once they knew each other, if they had known each other, if they'd spent thirty minutes just shooting it and talking about what, you know, the, I like coffee. No, I like pop, you know, whatever. Like I I like to go to clubs, whatever. Then when this happened, they would have been like, nah, she's not dumb. There's no way that she didn't get it. Like, let's, let's figure out what happened here. But when you don't do that, these misunderstandings can really snowball into something that they're not. And in this case it did. She was a perfectly qualified, brilliant worker who liked we wanted to work hard and the relationship ended because of essentially a misinterpretation of one word. Um, so it was really sad. So I'm just saying that but, putting the time in on the front end to build trust will save you time and money later. Well,
0: and I suppose that, you know, everybody's trying to separate their business and their personal lives. Um, but at the end of the day, we are humans and we are social animals. Mm-hmm. And so whether you're in, I mean, in your real life, you would never manage a friendship via text. You wouldn't manage a friendship any other way, except in person, or at least as close to in person as you can. So I do think it's a good advice to take it to, in uh, into business, just, uh, just as an understanding of what that's like. So, um,
1: I have one other thing to say on this though. Yeah. So, um, I, I always coach people on this. When we have conflict with someone, uh, especially when we're new at a job or we're just getting to know somebody, we go as humans to the worst pa- place possible. That's true, yeah. We're always like, they're dumb. I don't like them. They're a jerk. We always go to the worst place possible. But I would say there are three most common, very benign reasons for conflict at business. The number one is what we just went over a misunderstanding. The number one reason there's conflict at work is there is a misunderstanding of what the work was or what someone meant, just a clean misunderstanding. Nobody in a misunderstanding is a jerk. The second most common reason for conflict at work is a misattribution of priority. So Maybe I think speed's a priority. You think quality's a priority. Maybe I think service issues are a priority. You think apps are a priority. And so the person isn't prioritizing. Applications for
0: those of you not in our industry. Thank you,
1: thank you. so when there's a misunderstanding of the priorities, that causes conflict. The third is not understanding the environment. So like, let's say I come from a huge corporation and I'm coming on board, meeting my new team. And at a big corporation, the HR department does like everything for you. And now I'm in a really flat hierarchical structure and I'm going to my coworker. So you going to get all my stuff figured out. Like, so where's my computer? Where's my Software and you're misunderstanding the environment, um, and so rubbing people the wrong way. These three things cause the most amount of conflict. No one's a jerk in this situation. No one's a bad person. So if if we're confronted with conflict that feels like, ouch, or I don't like this, taking a step back and assuming that the person's good and it's probably one of these three things, possibly a fourth that I'm not mentioning, and assuming they're good but just making a mistake will save so much heartache, drama, strife, and thereby money.
0: And so just statistically speaking, really in the real world, and, and while, this uni- while this world we live in right now is bifurcated with Democrats and Republicans, um, and Republicans think Democrats are bad people and Democrats think Republicans are bad people, in fact, the only truly bad people in the world might be... 1% or 2%. Sociopaths. They're, more,
1: they're sociopaths, Or so- psychopaths. psychopaths.
0: They, they're they people you don't want to be around. They're people that might actually have ill intent um, for their own gain or against you. Even less likely is against you. Usually they're in it for themselves. So if you're starting to feel like somebody is not a good person or you're not able to establish this relationship, it's probably one of the three things that you mentioned, which misunderstanding, misattribution of priority, um, or not understanding the environment. Um, all right, so then what other, um, let me just say, this is Bootstrappers. I'm Jeremy, this is Gwen, and we're talking about virtual assistance slash remote assistance, especially in today's COVID environment. But uh, what's an example... Um, of thinking the worst of people that we were just talking about, and then being surprised when it wasn't it at all.
1: I actually love these moments. They're so much fun because they get. I always am a fan of saying, "Hey, seek first to understand before you get upset with somebody." Like, let's let's seek first to to understand. understand." So we have um a software that we use that um tells us a lot of information about what people are doing on their computers. So it alerts us if they're using what is called a cheating software that where the software makes it look like your mouse is moving when it's not. Um, it takes screenshots, keystrokes, all, all the rest. So on this software, an alert came up that someone was using a cheating software. And the HR department was really upset. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy's totally cheating. What do you want me to do? I said, seek first to understand before you go in guns a-blazing. I'm so glad I gave them that, that advice because I too was like, oh, we caught this guy. Like, so,
0: in a cheating software, I don't think you, a cheating software might be something that people use to pretend get, they're on their To computer. pretend that they're on their computer because there are other software programs, not just the one we uh, have, but where it's counting your mouse strokes or it's mm-hmm. counting your keystrokes. And so, this cheating software you're talking about was what looked downloaded
1: like downloaded and being used on his computer. Right. So they go into the conversation with this guy and I'm so glad they didn't come in saying, you're using this cheating software. You're clearly a bad employee because he actually found a way to automate a cut and paste process that he was responsible for. And it allowed him to automatically do that in the background while he was completing his other work. What a- he was actually like a brilliant employee. And can you imagine how disheartened and how much he'd want to quit if we had gone in and been like, you're a terrible employee, you're cheating after he had come up with this ingenious solution to his work.
0: Yeah, he wasn't even there just for the the time. Like he when an employee is willing to make their job easier, it's not that they're they're selfish necessarily trying to just make their day easier. They want like in this case make make life better, make the company better. That would have been a disaster.
1: I know. I know. And I have another one that is just at the top of mind. So, uh, Anaquim also has a call center, rent manager call center. And we had an employee whose productivity was just super low. And so, we were going to go in there with a, um, you know, employee performance improvement plan. Uh, But first, seeking first to understand one of the things on our checklist is if someone's uh, slow or not as productive as the rest is check their tools. That's like the number one thing, check their tools.
0: Oh, I know where Um, you're going with this. Right. So,
1: so the person in charge of this was like, let me get on your screen. Let me see what you're looking at. And they have a checklist of tools to make sure the person has everything set up right. This guy had Nothing, set up, right? <laughs> nothing. He didn't even have the right screen. Yeah, like, he didn't even have access. So he to couldn't even he'd...
0: see the caller's information. Oh
1: my gosh. So we went away from that. And we're like, oh my gosh, you've been operating like this with no tools whatsoever. And I mean, considering how little we gave him, he was the best employee ever.
0: Well, yeah. And then you give those, we like even... in this case, you give him some <laughs> tools to do his job. <laughs> And go, oh lo and God. behold, he turned out to be a really good. Oh my employee. gosh, she
1: just excelled once he had the right right tool. Yeah, I guess the
0: takeaway there is: do not jump to conclusions. Yeah,
1: seek first understand. It's a huge thing with with uh people, people. are
0: good people. All you gotta do is dig dig down and find out what the actual problem is mm-hmm. because odds are it's not because they're dumb. It's not because they're uh, lazy. I, I it's it's something not because in the last they're mean about, or bad people. Um, people are it's, always trying to separate the their problem. business and their personal There's problems. a problem, there's and the problem. So we do that as
1: issue in the business
0: owners. I mean, I think lots of people pride themselves on being able to do that, but also, especially in my experience in Mexico, our employees try to do the same thing. They try to keep their business and their personal lives separate. But we had an extreme case where our picking up on a microaggression, I think was amazingly important, or it at least demonstrates how if you're not doing video calls with your employees, um, you're missing some real opportunities to pick up on some very important cues. We one time um, were on a, a, a video call and there were several of us and you might've actually been on the call Gwen. But we just kind of knew there was somebody that, that was sad. He, he was, he was clearly sad. Um, and so we picked Broke. up on the cue, talked to him about it a little bit afterwards. Um, and, and just so everybody knows, sadness is the most difficult microaggression. To
1: Not face. microaggression. I'm sorry, microemotion. micro-emotion.
0: Uh, micro emotion to fake. Sadness, you can't fake it. I mean, it's really like crying, actors crying. It's very hard. It's oftentimes also very unconvincing. Um, <laughs> so we, we we talked to this guy. His dad died while he's at work. His oh dad died. Oh my gosh. And he was trying to get through the day to be a good employee. Like he didn't, and his answer to you know the inquiry was, I didn't want that to be your issue.
1: It's like, oh, dude!
0: You can your dad You're, just
1: died. Oh my God! Died. Please leave. Please get go. out of here. Yeah, here. For here sure. You need a plane
0: ticket. Like, oh. get out of here. You got to go take care of your family. You can't separate business from personal. Well, I mean, to that degree, <laughs> obviously, but but it's out there. And if you can't pick up on the micro expressions of people, you may never know. What if? What if that guy would have been suffering? The whole day, knowing his dad just died. I mean, that's, that's you being a, a bad.
1: It, well, boss. let's let's see if uh, and see if he gets anything done. I mean, that's the other thing. Like there are right, moments, yeah, there yeah. are moments where you're just like seriously, just go home because you're not going to accomplish anything here, and you clearly need to be with your family anyway. So, so
0: anyway, other things like um, other emotions, passive-aggressive well, behavior. Well,
1: and I want to bring up emails because emails can come across extremely passive-aggressive. Yeah, like so text. I have a few rules about emails. If there are seven emails going back and forth... Rules about uh, emails. You're, you've emailed too many times. Like after three, pick up a phone or yep. get on a video conference. Um, additionally, if you're going to like let's say somebody spent a lot of time on a process or procedure and you're going to call their baby ugly and say that they, it's a terrible procedure or something. Don't say that over email. It's never going to go well. So anyway, here's an example of a passive-aggressive email that was an indication of a much larger problem. And if I had just been in an office, I probably would have let it go because I hate drama. And I would much rather just gloss over... Which is why I married her. I I would much rather gloss over a minor, minor little tiff with two employees and see if they can just work it out without me getting involved. But with remote teams, it's so much harder to do that. So the email said something to the effect of... Uh, It's okay, no worries. You're gonna do whatever you want anyway. So, I mean, was it passive aggressive? Yeah,
0: I think that's kind of
1: passive aggressive. So, I called that person up and I was like, "That was not okay. Like, you can't talk to people like that." Um, And so, instead of just leaving it at that and having her talk to this person, I knew from experience this was going to blow up into a huge deal unless I nipped it in the bud at that moment. So,
0: so passive, I, your, your I thought is passive aggressive behavior It's
1: a sign. It's like a little tip of an iceberg. You're, you're just, in most cases, there's something way larger below that. And you're only seeing a piece of it. And I hate it. I've been in companies where things have gotten toxic. It's awful. So I said, think about this overnight tomorrow. The three of us are meeting on a conference call. So luckily, both people took responsibility for their failures. My um, inclination that there was a much bigger issue going on was absolutely correct. Each person, though, was responsible enough to take take responsibility. At the end of that conversation, I made each of them confirm. I said, okay, so we're all in agreement that we've made up now, right? And then yes and yes. Okay, so there will be conflict in the future because we're working together all the time. So I need each one of you to promise that when there's conflict, we're not going to the beginning of this relationship. We're going back to this moment right now. Oh,
0: the piling on. Yeah, we're
1: not gonna pile on to, oh, this is a huge story. We're not gonna make a big story about this. We have addressed our issues with this. And so we're moving forward. You will have conflict in the future. And this is our new starting point. Does everybody agree? And they both agreed and both are working very well together to this day.
0: So that's another version of forgiveness, right? And I think I've mentioned it on this show, but it's so important. The most successful social uh, groups, animals included, are the ones that have immediate retaliation, which is letting people know that they've crossed a line Mm -hmm. and then immediately forgiving them. But what it means to forgive somebody is to essentially let the past go and you don't can't.
1: pile back on. Once something right. else happens, it will happen. If it, you're if you're working with someone eight hours a day, or your work depends on somebody, you will have conflict. So, but don't pile on.
0: To really <laughs> forgive them is to not go to take that point in time where the conflict has been resolved. Everyone acknowledges that it was an error or what it was, whatever it was. And from this point on, it's a fresh slate. And if it's mm-hmm. not when it, it can't ever be made right because you can ask forgiveness and they can just skip right back into the timeline, back to the past. And you're in the same place you were, you've got to forgive people. Um, all right. So we've got to talk about security because that's happening. Um, I know that there are, uh, groups that are trying to, you know, bad actors that are Mm -hmm. trying to, um, steal and whatnot. But what about our employees that work overseas that don't have that? Or at your
1: home, anybody working from home, home. you know, there's less oversight when you're not in an office. So this, this problem or this question, I should say, comes up a lot. And, you know, let's just talk from personal experience. Anaquim grew like crazy last year and I was getting really afraid that I didn't, I wasn't knowing all the ways people could steal. So I read this amazing book, which I totally recommend called The Thief in Your Company. It's by Tiffany Couch and I want to give a shout out to Nick Cook if anyone knows him in the industry he's the one who turned me onto this book but the book says that there are three main ways people steal uh, in an operational environment. one is that there's a closed loop. the person who receives the mail has access to the computer to put in you know bills or inv- invoices whatever pay things and goes to the bank. The person who picks the mail up, has access to the computer system and goes to the bank is your biggest possible problem with stealing. Because um, let's say that they never pay your IRS bill and then the IRS is, is sending you letters that you owe them money and they're just stealing the IRS money. And acting like you paid it, you're never gonna know.
0: Oh, so they change the the vendor's name to IRS.
1: Or they just pretend in the system that you paid it and they yeah, they they mess with the checking, something like that. So that closed loop is your first big sieve. The other one is allowing them to pretend they have a fake vendor that ends up going to their bank account in your system. So they pay themselves fake invoices. And then they just get paid automatically through the company system and that money is going to them. The last one is not offboarding employees correctly. And then they switch the banking information for where that check or the, the address or and the name that that check is going to and it's actually going to them instead of the past employee. So those are the three biggest causes of people stealing. The next one would be like um, reimbursements for trips and they're just like, cushioning it. But the important thing to know is none of those involve anyone from overseas. No one from overseas or in Mexico in our case is going to have access to the mail or be able to go to the bank for you. So the most typical person who's going to steal from you is actually a domestic employee who just has too much access to everything. So, um, but there are still areas of concern if people are abroad. So I would say social security numbers and mm-hmm. credit card information always has to be obscured. So you can do that through the privileges functions of really any computer system. Although, I, I and say. I will
0: say that we, we do consulting for a lot of companies around the country in Canada. And it's kind of amazing how many employees are allowed to see the entire social security number. And to your uh, point, there are no software programs right now that store social security numbers that don't obscure the information. So
1: you can always do it the right way.
0: You can always do it the right way. Although some you people, have to try harder. If it's try harder, you have to for you have to give up on the user defined field that you created years ago mm-hmm. um, uh, for where to put the information and just. Move it to its proper place. Same with bank account information, credit card numbers.
1: Yes. The other thing I would say is if you haven't started doing online applications, now is the best. And this is, sorry, everyone, this is specific for our industry of property management. But when people apply for houses, please use the online application because when you do that, When the information comes through, it's automatically obscured. One of the problems we see is when paper applications are used, um, if you're scanning it over, they may have access to a social security number, banking information through the scanned version of an application. So just don't do that anymore. Do everything online and then you don't have that problem. Um, so those are the main ways people steal. And if you just, so at Wistar Group, we've always, always had a policy that if someone's going to receive credit card information over the phone or any banking information or sensitive information, they have to be in the office, have to, right, Jeremy, you've always had that, that, that rule uh, policy. Yep.
0: And yeah, which to the point is, Another part of security is to be. You have to be able to check and verify. You have to be able to monitor. You have to have clarity of accountability. Essentially, what you need to do is you need to have job descriptions. So if there is a flaw or a failure, it is somebody. There, there is nobody else in the system mm-hmm. who could otherwise be blamed. Mm. Keep, keep the job descriptions nice and tight. Uh, I just alluded to having good, strong job descriptions. Um, but th- to that to the end, to get, I'm trying to get to accountability.
1: Mm -hmm. If
0: somebody, if you've just hired somebody, you're in any industry and you're now working with somebody that's maybe a virtual assistant overseas or they're just your own staff working out of their home, things start to fall apart initially. I think it happened a lot in, in the, around the world when COVID first hit, Nobody was ready for this. We were at Wall Street Journal. Um, there were a whole bunch of companies and magazines, newspapers, trying to find out oh, what in the hell Yeah, are how we do supposed- we do this? How what, do we manage how do you make this people? Work? Yeah. Um, and my, my hunch is that it, when this whole COVID thing is over with, it will basically be that um, when we're all working in the same place, there's a different kind of accountability. It's maybe a little bit looser. And when, when we move to a virtual environment, those loose connections were completely severed. and so having a more defined um, uh, numeric uh, way to measure performance is probably most important. So I mean what would you in the experience of our 400 employees around the, uh, or around the world, what are the tricks? I mean how do we make it so that clients understand um, whether or not their employees are worth having?
1: Well, I think the first thing is to make that mental shift. So acknowledging the fact that when you're all in an office, you can vicariously manage people. For instance, Mm -hmm. if you have somebody answering phones, you're going to be grabbing your coffee and you're going to overhear at least their version, you know, their side of the conversation. You don't have that when people are working remotely. If you have someone who's the face of your company working not on site you have to be disciplined enough to call monitor at least one call a day. Uh, we have a call monitoring form. We use anyone listening, we'd be happy to share it with you. Um, but you have to listen to a call a day and make sure that you like how the face of your company Looks because that's the person that the outside world is seeing. Is that your is your customer service person? So you have to be more deliberate about what you measure and how you manage people. So I also think having clear key performance indicators is important. So um, people especially working from home, they don't get as much feedback as they might in an office environment. So they need to know if they're winning or losing on a daily basis. They need to know when they close their laptop at the end of the day, did I kill it or did I suck today? So having like in our industry, I'll just give some examples. They need to know how many applications they have to process that is good or bad. They need to know how much talk time is a is appropriate they need to know how many service issues do they have to touch to um, consider the day successful we really need some no- numeric uh, metrics that we're measuring on a weekly basis and managers are observing to indicate whether someone's succeeding or failing and that's huge where do you put that though
0: I mean you, how do people know what the goals are and how do you bring it up every now and again
1: so well uh, what our company has done is we and we talk about this on yeah, every this is... show, <laughs> uh, but we're big traction people. There's a book out. You can pay fourteen ninety nine for it, or you can get a five thousand dollars a consultant. day consultant. But yeah. um, we and have... either one.
0: <laughs> if you want the five thousand dollars, you're a consultant. I can hook you up.
1: Yeah, but um, at any rate, uh, our meetings. We have weekly meetings with every team. And there's a flow to the meetings. One of the things is going over key metrics. And every role is responsible for a key metric um, to make sure that they know whether they're succeeding or failing. Um, So that's a really important thing. Uh, I also, I don't think of this as a primary point of success or failure for a remote team member, but we do use a software that watches keystrokes and... um, and take screenshots while someone's working. Um, there, That's a controversial thing to do. It's worked for us. And I, I always tell people, no one's looking at your keystrokes or your screenshots if you're getting your work done. If you have good communication, which is also essential, good communication, you're getting your metrics met, no one has any time to look and see what your screenshots, nor do they care what they look like.
0: Uh, there, This actually came up... Uh... I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, but the metric is, you know, it depends on the job, but you might want to have 40% keystroke penetration or or 25% on another job. But um, you can use those kinds of metrics just as kind of peripher- with, peripherally. We had an employee that had 99%. They're, so they're essentially, according to this metric, a perfect employee. And that's
1: that's not true though.
0: That's not true. No, so yeah. what, what you end up what ends up happening is you can use that to identify that somebody's gaming the system.
1: Well, and so here's my thinking too. A lot of those softwares, even the one that we use, it's designed for data entry people, right? And so sometimes you can with your KPIs be measuring the wrong thing or incentivizing people on the wrong metric. And a a key example of that would be Wells Fargo um, had their major meltdown because they were incentivizing people so intensely based on how many accounts they were uh, Opening. opening, and so incentivized the wrong behavior. So this goes to my point, if you're incentivizing keystrokes and not things that actually drive your company forward, then if someone has a real knowledge job where they have to be focusing on something, but instead their attention is diverted because they have to keep pressing a key, button. a button or moving their mouse so that they don't get in trouble, you're minimizing the productivity. You're actually working against your best interest because you're focusing on the wrong thing. And,
0: and that's, that is, uh, I think, a pretty common mistake that I've seen when we've been doing some consulting People have these expectations that are established by maybe other jobs, and they take those norms and try to apply them to other remote employees to try to keep a beat on them, and then they end up making boneheaded decisions.
1: And and we're not immune to this. I remember, Jeremy, back in the day, you created a metric, and not to to bash on you, but uh, like you wanted talk time on a call to be low. And so, what somebody was doing. Oh this is kind of embarrassing. But what someone was doing was just hanging up.
0: Oh yeah. So we had <laughs> this is terrible. But we had so we that. years ago, years ago, we were trying to measure talk time because it seems like it's a good idea to measure talk time. And like the, the percent of time that they're on the phone when they're on a
1: specific call. That's what this was a specific well, but call. But like, generally speaking, down.
0: um yeah. you want to have them on the phone most often when they're overseas. And their only job is to be on the phone. So it just made all sorts of sense. So we wanted to have the number of calls and we wanted to have um, talk time penetration.
1: And we wanted the calls to be short. We wanted the calls to be short. You not want to spend 20 minutes, employees. 20 minutes on one call is too long. So this employee who <laughs>
0: is not with us, but who I actually love, one of the best human beings in the world um, was, Was taking the call. They were talking on the phone, and and then it was no kidding. We we found this out because at seven minutes, seven minutes exactly, click. (laughs) He would literally
1: hang up on. He would literally
0: (laughs) hang up on in the mid mid sentence, mid sentence, and try to make it sound like it was a mistake because he wanted his average call time to not be (laughs) to not be taken uh to not be what do you call uh not too four, long
1: he, he wanted to have like the best ta- the best call and so that's another reason why you have to call monitor because then uh, you know what's re- going on we
0: saw that it was seven minutes seven minutes seven <laughs> minutes and it was over the course of you know several months and then we'd call up he's like no, you just hang up they call back and the average no, goes down you train
1: do- someone else to do this yeah and we we're like
0: you have got to be kidding me do not effort- do not do that and um
1: Oh my God. It it, it was a
0: blemish on his career. I will say that. So let's
1: talk about other things that are helpful. Huddles. So if you have a small remote team getting on a call for 10 minutes in the morning and saying, you know, just checking in with everyone, seeing how everyone is and setting that daily goal or maybe have a weekly goal. Like I want to hear you guys smiling on the phone today. Like just focus on smiling on the phone or today we're focusing on online reviews. So make sure you ask everybody on the phones for five-star reviews if you feel like it's going well.
0: You're setting up a shot thought for Mm -hmm. the day. Like my dad, when um, he would take me golfing, he just said, when you're swinging, you don't think about everything that you need to do or everything that you're trying to get better at. You think of one thing that you're working on that entire round, and that's all you do. You make that better, and after a while, the muscle memory kicks in, and you're a better golfer after about six years. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so. uh, um, I would also say block time in your calendar to check and verify. So, yeah, we can love our employees. We can think they are amazing.
0: Well, and they can be amazing.
1: They can be amazing. And, s- but, and also there could be some long list that's not managed well in your software that's going to cost you a lot of money to get back on track. Um, so I've seen this, Jeremy mentioned, we do a lot of consulting service issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are, no one closes out a service issue for like three years and then you have to go through them all and be like, is this, did this ever get done? And those can be a mess. Or, um, it, you know, if someone, if there's a process for annual reviews and you have a large company and no one closes those out, that can get awful too. If- I mean- Lists can get bad. So I would I would just recommend to check, check and verify work. If there's one
0: thing I would hope that companies might do during this COVID um, downturn is to really review all of the processes and procedures. Or if you don't have them, for God's sakes, get them going. But if you do have them, make sure they're tidy. Make sure they actually function in this remote world that we're all living in. So unfortunately we are actually out of time we are uh, we, uh, we have other shows on uh, 1290 coil to get to unfortunately I'm sure they're all wishing that we could keep going uh, we will take this conversation offline a little bit we might have a little bonus um, on the uh, at YouTube or on our Facebook page or in, or on the what uh, podcast. Spotify podcast um, but thanks a million I like having these conversations fine, right? you once in a while it is fun um, so anyway, Uh, This has been Bootstrappers. I'm Jeremy. This is Gwen. We'll see you next week. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers.